On October 2nd, we will be hitting the streets for abortion justice all across the nation. Join the fight for our reproductive freedom at one of the 620 events in all 50 states. Don't see one in your community? It's not too late to sign up and host one. To find an event or start one, go to www.linktree slash women's march. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash women's march. And you can text DC March to 44310 for updates. Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Welcome back, Warrior Women. I met Angela Nazarian through my friend, Laura Gerson, during the SoCal Wellness event. We were on a panel together, and something she said really struck me. She said, in our 30s and early 40s, we do things because we want to do what we're good at. We want to use our talents and gifts. After 45, women want to have meaning in our work. We want to connect. That is exactly how I felt before I was launching this podcast at 50. I wanted meaning. I was no longer interested in what I was, quote unquote, good at. I wanted to make an impact. Today, we're going to learn what it takes to be a visionary woman from a woman who continues to evolve, grow, and expand. Visionary is defined by thinking about the future with imagination or wisdom. I love that. I'm grateful to be with you and to connect with you today. Our fan of the week is Timo. They say, I can't get enough of Liz and her amazing guests. The conversations are real. The guests are relatable, and it's refreshing how candid they are about their experiences and stories. Love, love, love it. And love, love, love you, Timo. Thank you so much. Thank you for that five-star review. If you haven't left a five-star written review for us yet, I would so appreciate it. Every review moves us up the rankings and brings new listeners. Okay, let's hear from our sponsor. As some of you may know, I sit on the board of Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides proven, successful social, emotional learning and anti-bullying and empathy building programs for students, as well as diversity, equity and inclusion programming for corporate entities. I'm excited to share with you that this week we are launching our seventh annual flagship education program and contest for elementary and middle school students called Kids Flaunt. The program is developed and marketed in partnership with Scholastic and is available free of charge to elementary and middle school kids in public and private schools nationwide. Kids Flaunt includes a lesson plan that is designed to build vital social emotional learning skills and boost self-confidence as well as a follow-up writing or art activity inspired by Don't Hide It, Flaunt It's Theme, The Thing That Makes Me Different Makes Me Me. After completing the lesson plan and follow-up activity, teachers or parents are encouraged to submit their students' essays or artwork for the Kids Flaunt Contest and are entered to win prizes. Please visit scholastic.com slash flaunt it for more information, a lesson plan, activity sheet, and contest entry for Kids Flaunt. Bring it to your school or enter your kid today. That's scholastic.com 
com slash flaunted. Today on the show, Angela Nazarian, a best-selling author, sought-after international speaker. She incorporates her training in psychology and teaching experience in creating dynamic and engaging speaking engagements and workshops. Angela is the co-founder and CFO of Visionary Women, a nonprofit women's leadership organization in Los Angeles that brings together some of the most dynamic thought leaders in the country. Angelino Magazine has also listed her as one of their top 12 philanthropists in Los Angeles. All three of Angela's book, Visionary Women, Life as a Visitor, and Pioneers of the Possible, Celebrating Visionary Women of the World, have become bestsellers. And her newest book, Creative Couples, explores 15 legendary couples who have left an unparalleled mark on the world of literature, philosophy, and art due to their collaborative efforts. I'm so thrilled to have this true warrior woman share her wisdom with us today. Welcome to the show, Angela. Hello. Happy to be with you. I'm so excited to have you. I met you at the SoCal Wellness event, yes. and I thought you said so many wonderful things on that panel. And I really, I was like, oh, I want to know more about Angela. And, I, and I'm and i a big fan of Visionary Women. In fact, it was the last event I attended before COVID. We were so sad, my friend Tanya and I, because we went and then we had that weird feeling where we were having such a good time at the event and Jane Fonda was there and I was dying yeah. over Jane Fonda and, and Patricia Ar 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 uh, Rosanna Arquette. And, but at the end of the event, we were like, do you think that's the last thing we're, and it was. And it was, it absolutely was. Everything went into shutdown. Thank God nobody got sick from that. Oh my God, thank God, right? And it was such a lovely event. And one thing that Jane Fonda was talking about that blew my mind was how we have to get out of this individual mindset that people have become very selfie and, you know, it's just about me and it's not you, it's me, 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 me. And that we really need to get out of that mindset and that we need to start thinking of like, you know, other people, frankly, and like what the mark we're making on the world and how that affects, and that we're all connected. And I thought that was such a great message. And then look what happened. We went into COVID and boy, did we learn that, Angela. We did. And it's really funny. I mean, we may be going off topic, but I feel like we can have such a great conversation right there. What Jane Fonda said resonates with me so much because if you even study anything on happiness, it talks about how happiness is the act of doing something that's beyond yourself that opens you up to other people. There is a book by the Dalai Lama where he's having a, a conversation with a psychologist. And that was the primary thing that I got out of, out of that book. It's that compassion, connectivity, and thinking of actually when you are going through the roughest times, it's most helpful if we are thinking beyond ourselves. And this last week, we had Norena Hertz on Visionary Women. Yes. And it was, she was talking about the pandemic of loneliness. Mm. And she was also saying how, actually, if you even look at the lyrics in the 1980s, it was we, us. And if you look at the lyrics now, it's about me, mine, I how we've become so focused on ourselves that it really creates this kind of barrier towards connecting towards other people. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I have to go back to the beginning. I love to know when, when a woman comes on the show, I, I think the, 
that their childhoods inform so much. And so rarely do people ask us about our childhoods unless we're in therapy. Um, but I really was, you know, I was studying up on you, Angela, as I was preparing. And you were born in Tehran, Iran. Um, during the Iranian Revolution in 1979, your family immigrated to the United States and eventually received political asylum. I wanted to know about that time in your life, what you remember. And I mean, my gosh, to be a child and doing all of that, that had to yeah. make a huge impression on you. A hundred percent. I think it really changed my worldview. It changed the way I look at things. Thank you for asking that question. I came to the United States when I was 11. I had just turned 11 in 1978. And sadly, my parents actually came five and a half years later than me. So I was actually raised by my older sis sister, who's 15 years older than I am. Wow, Angela. Yeah, I think there, there is trauma. There's definitely trauma related to what happens when you leave a country, when it's in turmoil, you don't ever go back to see your home. You come out with one luggage and everything you ever owned is left behind or you don't say goodbye to people and uh, you don't see half your family again. So for sure, there were times that were very challenging. And for my parents, especially because they were in Iran trying to figure out how they can liquidate some assets so they can support a family in the States. And they got caught in the um, you know Iran-Iraq war. And my uncle, who had a very high post in the previous government, was then imprisoned by the new government. And my mom wanted to stay to make sure that he comes out, which he did successfully. But at the end, my parents had to actually escape the border through the borders of Iran into Pakistan. And it took them six months to come. So just imagine from age 11 to 16 and a half, I probably talked to my parents a handful of times. And, oh, and that is such formative. I mean, because we know this, right? We, you have kids, I have kids. That yeah. is such an impressionable and formative time where you're like kind of trying to learn how to be an adult. And here you are dealing with really adult things, you know, starting at that age. Yes, with a new culture, new language, new school, new friends, new environment. But it's interesting how resilient we all can be too. I usually think, okay, when I talk about it, it sounds so bad. But when I was living through it, I had a lot of good moments during those times as well. And I think when you're in that situation, you learn to cope and you learn to live under different circumstances. And then you process things much later, much in, in your adulthood, actually. Absolutely. And as you raise your kid and they're turning the same age as this happened or that happened, that's what I find for me. Like when I, when my son has something, I was like, oh gosh, you know, when you were 15, what were you thinking in that moment? It's, it's interesting to compare because it is very different, you know, how they're living now and how we grew up. And, you know, that in it's, it, it's so, sometimes you say to yourself, my God, like I, I used to get on my bike and like not come home until like nine o'clock at night. Like I was just gone. And yeah. I'm thinking, I don't let my kids yeah. barely in the front yard. And yeah. I was like on a bike, like going over a, a highway, yeah. like just riding around like at nighttime. <laughs> no, I, I get it. I understand that completely. Like yeah. the things that we used to do, it's not the same for our kids. And no. oftentimes I go, oh, 
when my son was 11, that's when I actually started thinking, oh my God, I was so young. Yes. You don't feel young when you're 11, but Yes. When you see it from another perspective, you go, "Oh my God!" You know that's yeah. well. You've 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 okay. definitely earned your your warrior woman status when you were about eleven years old. So that's amazing. You were a professor of psychology at Mount Saint Mary's University, California State University, Long Beach, and the LA Valley College for eleven years. I kind of wanted to know in that stage of your life, what did you learn about yourself, and what what did you learn from maybe some of your clients during that time? Okay. So, you know, I had students, so they weren't really my clients, but there's a couple of things that I learned about myself. One was that because I got married very young, I got married when I was 20. So I went through all my undergrad, part of my undergrad and my graduate studies while being married. And when I was getting my degree, I was actually pregnant with Philip. So one of the things that started coming to me is that, am I going to be a stay-at-home mom or will I be working outside? And I come from such a traditional family that my first response was, I guess it's not possible for me to be working outside of the house. And shortly, six months after I gave birth to Philip, I, I went to my husband, David, and I said, something's not clicking with me. I need more stimulation outside. While I want to be a hands-on mom, I think I need to do something outside of the house. And he was very supportive. And it's probably, he was the only supportive person around me. Yeah. Uh, it was very brave to say, right? To, to say like, it's not that I don't love this or that I love don't love my child, but this is not enough for me. Yes. Yeah. And so that's where I actually transitioned into being a professor of psychology, because I felt that I could teach the classes, yet I have enough time, preparation time can be done at home. So it was like, I tried to find my own flex time. And I oftentimes think of all these women who have kids like attorneys or, I mean, when you are in a service oriented job, how can you take some time off for your personal situation with a very demanding job. Yeah. I always think about that. And sometimes I always say that nobody has it down perfect. And there's certain stages in our lives where we compromise one thing to get another. And you can't have it all at the same time, but you can, if it's enough, that's good enough. And then, you know, slowly, slowly, the needs of your family changes or your own personal needs change. And then you melt to something else. One thing I learned about myself through those 11 years of teaching is how much I enjoy relating to other people, growing, feeling relevant, and how important it was for me to still keep an identity for myself while I was raising a family. Absolutely. And I think that's something that women have definitely realized over the last 10 years. It is like utmost importance. Otherwise we just feel completely lost. You know, we, even if you don't want to work outside the home, but even if you have something, a passion or a business that you're just starting, I never stopped working when I, even when I had like little kids, I would have these kind of little side hustles going on because it just made me feel so much better to have something like yeah. entrepreneurial or something I was doing. I just wanted to have that for myself. So I think whatever way you can kind of keep your passions going or your dreams going or your goals going, even though you have little people, just as that little time for yourself is, I think, the ultimate self-care. 
Definitely. And, you know, it uh, reminds me of this quote by Joseph Campbell that says, happiness isn't that you're in a state of elation. It really is you wake up and you feel alive. So the feeling of aliveness is much more important than feeling happy. Happy, as we define it, you could be happy one day or not. But feeling alive means that you wake up in the morning and you feel enthused about what you're doing, that there's these cells of your body are kind of dancing around because you're looking forward to something. We can't have it every day, but if in the general scope of things, you feel that way, you're, you're on mission. Yeah. If you're hitting 90%, you're, you're above average. (laughs) In 2015, you co-founded the nonprofit Visionary Women, along with your co-founders, former mayor of Beverly Hills and city council member, Honorable Lily, is do we say, is it Lily Bossy? Yes. Lily Bossy. I couldn't remember how to say her last name. And former U.S. Ambassador, Nicole Avant and Veronica Smiley, bringing together some of the most dynamic thought leaders in the country together for in-depth conversations, which gosh, of course, you know, I love. Tell me about why you started Visionary Women. What was the need that you saw? So Visionary Women came about because shortly after writing my first book, which was more of an autobiography, I did my dissertation on leadership. And I wrote a book called Pioneers of the Possible. And then my next book was called Visionary Women. So in, in each book, I covered 20 of the most successful women around the world, making sure that they came from different countries, They excelled in different fields. And what did they all have in common? While I was doing that, I started thinking how important it is for my own community in Los Angeles to hear these stories up front. That if I'm interviewing someone or I meet someone, if I can bring them to our community so all of us can have this kind of talk. This is way before podcasts, of course. Yes. And I do have to say there's something about seeing things in person. Oh, yes. At some point, you get a chance to build a community around leadership and learning. Oh, no. In-person things are electric. You can't, I mean, listen, podcasts are wonderful. I love my podcasts, but in-person events are electric and you can't, you can't really replicate that. It's impossible. The energy, you feel the energy in the room. Yes. I was asked by Young Presidents Organization to do a women's summit for them. And when I started planning it, I noticed that so many of my friends who would be interested won't be able to attend because YPO is more of a closed membership. And so I decided to do a summit with a friend and open it to all our friends, whoever is interested to coming. And Elizabeth, within three days, that summit was sold out. I had We had probably another hundred people on the waiting list. And having done that, it was really interesting because we had asked uh, Willow Bay to interview Wallace Annenberg as a keynote lunch speaker. And I saw Wallace right after that. And she gave me one of the best things, uh, advice. She said, this is really, what you have is really golden. I really suggest you make this a nonprofit and you form a group around it. And I went right back to work. I, we, um, I decided that I wanted to do a nonprofit around this. And meanwhile, I was talking to one of my dearest friends, my best friend, Lily, who is now the vice mayor of Beverly Hills. And she said, you know what? 
that has been my dream as, as well. Why not do this together? So she and I started the process and then brought in our friends who we thought would really roll their sleeves up and want to join us in this kind of mission. And what's exceptional about Visionary Women, it's not only because we bring top thought leaders to our platform, but we're also a giving and pledge circle. So with the membership that people give, $1,000 or more, 100% goes back to women's initiatives whether it's in Los Angeles or internationally. And we have a great grants review committee. So I think we do good in both ways. We have impact because we are giving money away. And then we have impact because we're constantly growing and we're constantly bringing in really inspiring speakers to talk about things that we want to learn about. Absolutely. And that actually brings me to my next question, because I figured between these books between your events, you have interviewed some of the most amazing women. And I'm always, I'm always fascinated by, you know, what woman, another woman really looks to for advice or inspiration. So I want to know who you've learned the most from, or who you really connected with, or what kind of piece of advice kind of sticks with you of all of these amazing women that you've interviewed and been with. It's so hard to say because as you're so saying, many. I've interviewed Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I, I mean, it's like crazy people that you say there's no end to the admiration I have for a lot of the women that I meet and interview. But one that I think touched my heart was Ama. Ama is a living saint in India. And once a year, she actually does a tour in North America. And I got a chance to not only interview her, but to meet her. And Alma comes from the, you know, she is from the untouchable caste. So the lowest caste being, and here she is that she, I mean, her story is incredible, but you see that her spirit was one in which now that she's revered by millions of people around the world. And her message is, I want to give love. And I want to, she's called the hugging saint. So when she does darshan, when she sits to see people, the only thing she does is that she hugs people. So she has hugged 38,000 people in a day. Just imagine that. Oh my gosh. So when she came to Los Angeles, I was very curious. So I went to, to this hotel near the airport and there were literally maybe 10,000 people waiting to see her and to get a hug from her. And they always say that the hug is transformative. So while I was waiting, I saw, you know, there was a professor of engineering from UCLA next to me. And then there was a woman who was suffering from cancer and was getting treatment, a woman with a baby. I mean, all kinds of people. And when I went to see her, it's really remarkable. She hugged me. It wasn't that I felt that the hug itself was a transmission of energy where a lot of people talk about. Maybe I wasn't open to that. But what was remarkable is that she hugged me and she whispered in my ear, in my native language, Farsi. No. Farsi, in, in my native language. And she said, you're enough. <gasps> and she... And then I left. And first I thought, that's an odd message. 
But then I started thinking those hours that I was waiting in line with those thousands of people, I was sitting there thinking about, oh, I should have done that better. I could have done this. Maybe I should do this. It's a lot of shoulds and coulds. And here she is. She cut through all of it. She said, you're enough. And in my own language, like, how did she know I was Persian? And I think that was something that I think a lot of us struggle with. I have led women's groups. I'm obviously studied psychology and the whole field of self-improvement is such a big field for all of us because we think that we always have to be improving. My, my encounter made me think maybe it's not that we need to improve in any which way. Maybe we just have to tear, pull back some of our defense mechanisms, some of the things that don't belong to us anymore. Yeah. And be more of who we should be in our inner core. I love that. I love that she spoke to you in your native language. That's the thing that's killing me the most. It's wild. It's wild. That's so wild. What an amazing experience. Well, you, in your book, Visionary Women, you, you basically compel, compel people to reconnect with their own dreams and goals and, and kind of envision yourself at different stages in your life. I feel like you are like a reinvention expert. I feel that you literally, like, this is something you are really good at. So a lot of women are, are having to reinvent right now. What is your secret, do you think, to continually reinventing yourself? I'm open to ideas and I'm not afraid. You know, I may be afraid, but I still act through it. Of course, it's very nice to be a professor. But then when I felt that I wanted to do something else, I just said, it doesn't matter if I have a title or not. And I let it go. I let it go. And I really dove into doing women's classes. And that was exciting. That was exciting. But I had to let go of certain kinds of status things that you really think about. When I was doing my women's classes, I wanted to find something that I could use as a form of self-expression. And I went to my writing classes. And the people in my writing class kept on saying, you know, these stories are so amazing. Maybe it should be a book. And I thought, you know what? I have nothing to lose. Uh, I'm, I work hard. There's no question I'm a hard worker. So I'm not afraid of hard work. But if I'm afraid of hearing no, I'm going to miss out on the chance of really hearing a yes. So it was actually publishing my first book was one of the most difficult things that I've done in terms of career-wise. But I do think that it opened the whole world for me. And I just kept on saying, I can deal with hearing a no. I can deal with disappointment. I can. I'll move on. Yeah. And you know what? You're going to hear a lot of no's, right? Like we hear no's. Like that happens. That's real. Even like, you know, asking people to, you know, to interview them for my books. I mean, of course I'm going to hear a no. But, you know, I would think, okay, let me strategize. Let me see how I can find the best end to that person. And then it becomes a game. So if you don't take it so seriously and not so personally, you just say, okay, let's see if I can find a way around it. And I think it's paid off for me. It's paid off for me. And I I feel that every seven years we do change in nature anyway. And if we're not pivoting, we're probably not being our best self anyway. 
Yeah. And that goes back to the kind of peeling away thing you're talking about too. So because some of these reinventions don't have to be like, well, now I'm going to be a dentist, right? Like it could just be like, I am not going to carry this around anymore. I'm going to speak up because I, I, I'm not speaking. I've, I've lost my voice somehow and peeling something back, right? I'm not going to yeah. carry this around anymore. I'm going to use my voice or, you know, I'm, I'm done having this type of relationship with people or my husband or whatever it is, right? It's appealing back to kind of reveal more of, like you were saying, who we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So in your newest book, which is, I think it's your newest book, Creative Couples, yes. which is on my coffee table right now, because the minute you mentioned it, the last time I talked to you, I was like, oh, I need that book. Boom. Bought it literally the second you told me. It explores how men and women interact with like one each other, with each other. And this is fascinating to me because it talks about romantically and professionally how we interact and how two high achieving individuals meld their personal lives and work together. And you know, today is my 18th wedding anniversary, Angela. Woo! Congratulations. That's such a huge achievement. And you've been married 33 years, which is insane. I know. It's insane. You got married when you were four. Clearly. Oh, I wish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I wanted to know what you think from interviewing all these couples. And I love reading this book. I love Ruth Bader Ginsburg in that book. What is the secret, do you think, to living a fully thriving long-term relationship? Because I think this whole, you got to sacrifice thing is a load of shit, Angela. I don't think it's true. I don't think you're supposed to be over here sacrificing yourself. And haven't women sacrificed enough? Have Are we not done by now? I think we've had enough. Yeah. I feel like rather than thinking of it as like a sacrifice, shouldn't it be like we're both encouraging the other one to thrive and live better? A hundred percent. And I want to get back to that. I think the word uh, sacrifice is so loaded that it means like you're losing out on something really good and you're like miserable. I don't know. Sacrifice doesn't sit well with me either. I do think that any relationship, you need to be open to letting go of things or compromise or finding a middle ground, but that's not sacrifice. I think that is being smart. (laughs) One of the things you're talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, when they first got married, she and her husband, what's incredible is that they both went to law school together. First of all, they both wanted to be in the same field so they would have more in common. So they decided, well, they can't go to MBA because they don't let women in. And she went to Harvard Law. That was the only graduate program that let women in. That's crazy. And when they went together, her husband got cancer. And she actually went to his classes, took notes, come back, do the notes with him. So while she was taking care of a little baby, going to Harvard Law School, was taking care of a very ill husband and doing work with him to write those papers out for him. And she said, you know what? That's the give and take of any relationship. And when it was my turn, he decided that he'll let me go, you know, not let, is that we decided together that he is going to take care of the baby and I'll go six months to another country to do research. So it's this unspoken kind of contract that we have with a partner saying, I'm committed to your growth. I'm committed to seeing you. I see you, I'm committed to doing that, and we're going to find a way to go through this journey together. 
And I think that's a very inspiring thing to shoot for. It's very difficult. But I also think what's really interesting from doing the research is that, as you can see from some of the stories, is that some of those relationships lacked certain things. But our definition and our idea of what marriage and a partnership should be is so idealized that sometimes you we're going to have that kind of rumble. Yeah. Or, and so that's important too, not to over romanticize a relationship as well. And then thirdly, I think it's really important to know that at any which point people change and you have to reevaluate the way you're going to relate to your spouse or partner because they've changed and you have changed. I mean, just think about it. 18 years ago when you got married, I'm sure you had a different personality. Oh, yeah. How was your husband? I mean, two different people. Yeah. Like who you were with your husband 18 years ago, it's completely different than today as I'm sitting with you. Yes, it's very true. And I think, you know, in, in the case of my husband, at least, he has always been like, a huge cheerleader. He always thinks I can do even more than I think I can do, which really has helped me because I think if he had, I mean, I'm, I'm a rebel at heart. So I'm sure if he'd tried to put some barriers on me, I would have been like just busting out like a crazy person and trying to do it anyway. But you know, the, the nice thing about having his support is that then when new things do come along, I want to share it with him. I want to talk to him about it. I want to get his opinion. Like I've had guests on where I've like I've been kind of like not feeling like my questions were really good. And I would go to him and say, what would you ask this person? And he, he has great ideas. And so we, it's nice to have him as a collaborator, frankly, because I do trust him that he has my best at heart and he wants the best for me and he wants my success. So when you know that about the other person, then it just like, you, you can put your weapons down, frankly, and you can, you can have this collaboration. Yes, Absolutely. So how wonderful it is that you can go into this day knowing that you've had 18 years of love, partnership, and working towards that partnership. It's, you know, I always say happiness is a serious business because you need to work hard at it. Any good relationship needs a lot of tending. It needs a lot of tending too. Yeah. And I think that whole mindset thing, which as much as people want to say, you know, oh, like the, the, the whole thoughts and your thoughts are, you know, your thoughts are options. <laughs> They're not yeah. always real. Like we can really, I, I, can, I make a joke with my, my girlfriends all the time. We'll say like, you know, you have a thought about your husband. Maybe it's not so good, right? He's annoying. Okay. He's annoying. He's annoying me, blah, blah, blah. And then you go around with that thought. Okay. Now you think he's annoying. Now you're treating him like he's annoying. Guess what he's going to be? Annoying. Yes. He'll never stop. Yes. The only person that can stop your husband from being annoying is you thinking that he's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's yeah. not annoying. <laughs> maybe you're annoyed about something else, or maybe some, you're not giving yourself enough self-care or me time, or maybe you're frustrated about something on your own, but you almost have to kind of talk yourself out of that stupid thought loop because that stuff breeds contempt. And then, you know, then your husband is not sitting next to you on the couch because he can tell that you are not really liking him right now. So yeah, it's the energy. Just goes around and around. Yes, it's the energy you give off. Now, imagine like for my book, I was actually studying the relationships of, relationships of people who 
work together and actually change the course of 20th century together. So they've done massive things together. So the pressure of working and having a personal life and how do you respect those boundaries? It's really fascinating. It's fascinating. And I do think it's even very important for, I, I consider myself a feminist. And I think the next step in the feminist movement is that how do we bring men into the conversation? So men come into the conversation because we work with them. We live with them. We love them. There are brothers, fathers, and husbands, and boyfriends, and partners. So, you know, we need to see how do men and women relate to one another. That's where we need to start looking at. And I know so many male feminists. There's so many male feminists. Yeah. And that's who we want to raise as moms, too. Yes, I do. I want to have my 15-year-old son. I definitely want to do that. So you're right. We have to bring them into the conversation. As much as we we love the deliciousness of just being on our own and kind of raising our fists in the air together, you're right. It, it, you know, some allyship and some connectivity around, you know, the men that are important and willing to learn and listen and to be an ally, that's important because that's just going to move us for, forward. I mean, even this whole Time's Up movement, you know, I was telling my husband, I was like, this is very real. I want you to know that I didn't even consider this. I want you to know that all the things that happened to me, I just thought, yeah, that's what happens. That's not okay. No, I wouldn't want those things to happen to our daughter. And when I talked to him like that, he was like, oh, okay. Now I get it. I get it. I get what you're saying. Because it's all about the way you're framing it up. And when another woman says, oh, well, that's not okay. That's not okay for you. You know, then you say, oh my gosh, it isn't okay. (laughs) You know, it's almost like this validation. So to have a man do that as well, to have a man feel like, oh no, that's not how women should be treated. And to be able to carry that into rooms, maybe where some other men disagree. Exactly. Places where we are not. Yeah. That's a powerful thing. It is. It, It truly is. And we need to have those conversations with them or they won't understand. Absolutely. And believe me, that was not one conversation. That was many conversations just because it is hard when you're, you know, a white male going through the world, you are basically the golden child of the universe. Hello? Nothing, Mm -hmm. there's really, you're not having a problem other than maybe feeling disconnected from from other people and not being able to express your emotions, which is a problem. But overall, you know, you're at the top of the heap there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you start kind of having these conversations, like, well, what does it look like from my perspective? Or what does it look like from Angela's perspective? Or what does it look like, you know, from our kids perspective, then you really get to the deep, the deep work. Yes. Yes. Well, tell me something, what is next for you? I feel like you've done so many amazing things and you've got these great books and you've interviewed all these women. Is there something kind of on the horizon for you, something you're kind of noodling or excited about or another reinvention coming? You know, it's interesting because after every book, I say, I don't have another book. And (laughs) yeah, completely inspired. I don't do it because it's a three, four year commitment and it takes a lot of energy. I don't know if another book is on the horizon. I think I have to wait and see if anything percolates. But my biggest passion is is visionary women. 
And I think this year, although we were in quarantine and we couldn't have in-person meetings, we saw something remarkable, Elizabeth. We did things on Zoom and we planned the summit. And I think I talked to you about that during that conference or panel. Yes, please tell, like, mention that because that was one of my favorite things you talked about, that conversation. Yes. So for International Women's Day, you came last, the year before that and saw Jane Fonda and we had 600 women celebrating International Women's Day. This year, we thought, okay, there's no way that we can come together. Why not do a summit? And what was really getting to all of us on the board was the kind of bipartisanship that we were seeing in the country, the polarization of people. And we were thinking, how do we find common ground because we're an apolitical group. I mean, we don't, you know, side with anything, but how do we find common ground? So we decided to bring three panels. One was panel for equity. We had Jacqueline Novogratz, who's a pioneer in bringing clean water, electricity, healthcare to the most impoverished people around the world with Pat Mitchell, who's the head of TED Women. We had two female Nobel laureates, talk about peace building in their countries. And then we had Condoleezza Rice and Madeleine Albright talking to each other about finding common ground. And, you know, they, they're on two sides of the aisle, but they love each other. They call each other sisters. And the summit was really spectacular in the sense that we had women in 30 countries watching it. Mm. Isn't that something? So that's the magic of these stupid Zooms is that as we want to complain about them, look at this, look at what it can do. That's why, you know, our next summit, I don't, I think we're going to still be online because now we can engage people, you know, one of those panels, one was, uh, you know, in Liberia, one was in Washington, DC, and one in California. How could have I ever brought that no, not programming to people here in Los Angeles. So yeah. I think what we've learned is that we can really increase our reach in a very big way, but couple that with membership only events here in Los Angeles. I think so, that is so smart. So yeah, smart. I'm really percolating on that idea and really thinking about bringing really incredible speakers on Zoom, people that, you know, it's hard to have access because they live across the country or, you know, on the other side of the world. Yet, how do you bring connectivity to the group that you have in Los Angeles? And hopefully we can branch out visionary women to nationwide. That would be amazing. Chapters in every state. So It's a long range plan and one that, you know, this is complete volunteer work, but I'm so lucky that I can spend my time dedicating it to a passion that I have. I'm very lucky that I can do that. And it's so fulfilling. So look at all the ways you've used that passion. It's amazing. Yes. And then, you know, on the personal side, it's interesting because my family's going through a transition. My younger son is getting engaged. So it's really, you know, now I'm moving into a different stage of life. Although I find myself thinking I'm so young, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have a daughter-in-law. So sometimes I also think like, is that part of the ebb and flow of my career that my family, the transition of us becoming a bigger family is so exciting 
and it needs time and love. And I want to not have those run through my fingers and not feel it. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. Cause you're right. That's, this is the yummy part of life. We don't want to just like gloss it over. Like it's nothing. I exactly. I'm saying, you know, I need to be really present with this because it's really beautiful. And for those mother, you know, for those people who have kids, I mean, that's one of the greatest wishes as a parent to think that I would busy myself so much that I don't even have time to feel those feelings would be a shame, a real shame. Absolutely. For me. Now being present to that is going to be everything. And that's, you're right. That's also the, the generation going forward, right? Yes. Because everything you're building there is going to go forward, you know? So that's a, that's a good thing to invest time in. Yes. And a mom of boys, I'm so happy to have a girl on my side. Hello. Woo! <laughs> visionary women. Love it. Yeah. Okay. We're on to the speed round, Angela. This is party time. Okay. Yes. Cocktail of choice. Skinny margaritas. Anyone that knows me, that's my drink. I love that. That's my husband's drink too, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, mantra or quote you live by? I say this shall pass. This too shall pass. Because if you're ever disappointed or even when you're happy, you just know that all of this will pass and something else comes. You, any good news, bad news, any, all of it is, you just have to take the long range perspective. Yes. What makes you feel unstoppable? When I feel inspired. When I'm inspired, you know, I'm Scorpio. I get like this intense focus and I just go right to it. I'm like a heat seeking missile. So when I'm inspired, I just feel like there's a flux of energy in me and I feel that I can make things happen. And I see that happening. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you make things happen. Who do you admire? I admire so many people. God. Well, one person that I have to say I admire, and it's just popping in my mind. It's like my husband, David. You know, I could say a lot of people that I have interviewed, but if you know someone for this long and you know the core of their being and you feel like they're your best friend and you want to choose to be with them, well, then, you know, I have to say he's a person that I really admire. That's amazing. I love that. What are you most proud of? I'm uh, proud that although given the fact that I was raised in a very conservative, traditional family and being Iranian, it's, you know, a lot of women don't work outside of the home. I'm proud that I found a way to work myself through that and become like the quirky person that I am and feel okay with it. It's not only about the work, it's about the way I want to live my life or the way I want to do my home, the travels I want to have. I'm so happy that I gave myself the permission to explore things and then adopt it for my own value system. So going outside of the one that I was born in. I love that. Well, that's the way, that's the path to your uniqueness, right? Is that we can't all be the same. We can't always do it the same and the way it's always been done and all the things and still be happy. You kind of have to say, is this, does this work for me? Is this okay? Like, you know, even though it's, it it may be a a deep, deep tradition doesn't mean that that's something that you really want to carry forward. 
Exactly. And I think that, you know, when you're bicultural, you always feel like maybe you're in between two worlds or I'm sure everybody has had this outsider mentality. But at the end, I'm like, who cares? I just need to be me. And you know what? That's the beauty of aging. Don't you feel like the older I get, I feel like I more feel like that. Like, what am I? Am I living for somebody else? Is there somebody watching me in this house right now? Shouldn't this house be whatever I want it to be? You know, yeah. you really kind of, you, you start to realize that that stuff is crazy, that, that yeah. living kind of for this outside view of yourself gets you absolutely nowhere. 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 No. What is exciting you the most right now? Well, it is, it's the personal front. It's exciting because I'm just seeing my family expand. So that's really, really fantastic. And uh, the chocolate that I'll have in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's always something to look forward to. Yes. Um, but yes, you're right. Engagements are so, you know, it's such an awesome time in someone's life, just being engaged and enjoying that and not pushing, you know, relentlessly to a wedding or to a kid or you're just enjoying that little magical engagement moment. It's sudden, it's a magic time. It's something to yeah. enjoy. Yes. It yes. really is. And, and bravo, because you're right. You got your son to that point. So I'm, I give you all the credit. Thank you. I don't know if I get the credit, I'm but I'm going on the right. I'm going on the right. I don't even know your husband. It's getting all to you. Sorry, Angela. You're <laughs> the only one I care about. <laughs> thank okay. Thank you so much, Angela, for doing this with me. You are one busy lady and I had, I was trying to nail you down. You travel. I was like so happy that you did this with me today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody, thank you for joining me. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye.